0: Thank you. Welcome listener to the latest episode of your favorite socialist film podcast, Kino Lefter, where we discuss uh, whether movies are based or cringe, uh, if they are secret propaganda for corporate masters, which is of course true. Um, And, you know, if you watch this film, will your mind be poisoned? Will you be able to participate in the revolution? Who's to say? Um, joining me on this episode is the superstar host of one of uh, our fellow podcasts on the Harbinger Media Network, Paris Marks from Tech Won't Save Us. Paris, how's it going?
1: It's going well, Evan. You know, I'm super excited to join you. We just started our conversation, you know, before we started recording with the uh, the required, you know, discussion of COVID. So now we mm-hmm. can actually get to the topic at hand, which is these films, because I'm sure people don't uh, want to hear anything about COVID right now.
0: Exactly. Spider-Man does not get sick in this film. Uh, He does not have the sniffles as far as I can tell. Um, But yes, we are here uh, to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home, directed by John Watts, the auteur filmmaker himself uh, from such films as Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, and Fantastic Four in development. Um, So if you're listening to this, I will spoil the film at the beginning i am not interested in talking about this movie in a spoiler free context um so if you have not watched the film tune out to this episode do not listen to my podcast uh, and and I would say later. We're,
1: we're not only spoiling No Way Home, but we'll be spoiling Far From Home. We'll be spoiling Homecoming. We'll be spoiling The Amazing Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. We'll also be spoiling Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, and Spider-Man 3. So get ready. We're spoiling everything for you.
0: We'll also be spoiling Amazing Fantasy number one, uh, the <laughs> first comic book appearance of Spider-Man. We'll be spoiling your own home. Uh, we'll be spoiling everything home-related. Uh, any possible future titles of Spider-Man movies. Uh, I wonder what the next conceit is for the next trilogy of Spider-Man movies, what next word they'll have to dump into every movie. Prognostications for a future segment of this show, we'll see. Um, But uh, here's the plot of Spider-Man 3, Take-Two. Peter and friends are trying to get accepted into college after Spider-Man's identity is revealed to the world. After a magical fuck-up, Peter is tasked by Doctor Strange to return visitors from other worlds of the multiverse to their home reality, including Electro, Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Sandman, and the Lizard. Peter learns that all these baddies are killed in battle with their versions of Spider-Man, so he decides to cure them before sending them home in the hopes that their lives will be saved. After Green Goblin murders Aunt May, Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield are summoned by Ned and MJ to console Peter and help him send these baddies packing. After learning an important lesson about power and responsibility, the world forgets who Peter Parker is.
1: Now, I have to admit, when you started reading, I thought you were just like reading a synopsis off of like Wikipedia or like the IMDb page. And then you got to Green Goblin Kills Aunt May and I was like, wait, this isn't in the synopsis. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I just I tried to write down the main plot points of this because um we were talking before it is definitely a Fortnite movie. I don't know a better term for this. It's the only thing I've been able to settle on because like these films exist as platforms for other pieces of intellectual property to join them and to like flatten difference. Like that's the main thing. So it's easy for studios to pick and choose different properties to come join on the exciting adventures that would otherwise be bad question mark. They don't have enough faith in whatever other movie they would produce because fun fact, this movie was supposed to be a Craven, the Hunter film uh, where Spider-Man would fight that uh, baddie. But then uh, Sony was saw the success of into the Spider-Verse and said, what if we did that again um so these are the only kinds of spider-man movies we will be getting forever
1: that's wild i i didn't actually know that they had changed it in that way um wow (laughs) um but i i like completely agree with what you're saying right um i have an article coming out in in jacobin uh at some point on spider-man um and i i essentially make that comparison right not to into the spider-verse which you know is, is obviously inspiring what's going on here, but also to Endgame, uh, Avengers Endgame, which kind of, you know, brought together a decade plus of Marvel Cinematic Universe films to have like this one coming together that became the second highest grossing film ever. And I'm sure that, you know, when you're looking at the thinking of Sony and of Marvel in putting together this third Spider-Man movie, seeing the success of an Avengers Endgame, but also, um, you know, I think the kind of, positive reviews that uh into the spider-verse received you can see why uh there might be an incentive to go this direction to bring together all of these spider-men and the villains that they faced um to try to drive people into cinemas and to get another uh property that is going to make them a ton of money because spider-man itself is a very popular superhero anyway you know i would say probably. Be or one of one of the most recognizable superheroes, so already there's that uh, draw that's kind of built in that a lot of people are going to see it just because it's a Spider-Man movie. But then you say, okay, and you're bringing in all this stuff from past Spider-Man movies. Um, you know that is something that is really going to bring people in and want people to go to the cinemas to see it. And I'm sure that Marvel and Sony are hoping that means it's going to get up to like near Avatar and Avengers Endgame level uh, sales. <laughs>
0: And of course, uh, it's going to make $2 billion on the fact that we all stand Andrew Garfield. Uh, the fan cams worked. Uh, everyone is very excited to see Andrew back as uh, everyone's favorite web slinger. But no, you're right. It's like, uh, I'm not so precious about the Spider Man character. Like, I like Spider Man, he's never been my favorite superhero. I am cursed with being a DC guy, um, which of course is one of the most, um, both at risk and most cursed identities of all time. Um, But uh, I I like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I think he's fine. But in terms of like the characterization or like what Peter goes through in these movies, it's so lackluster compared to uh, previous installments. But I think that's that's a good place to start talking about no way home it's so i would say before we get into
1: oh yeah well when i was writing my article i kept like messing them up right especially far from home and no way home um but i would just say you know you're a dc fan i am a spider-man fan okay in the Mm -hmm. sense that i grew up with spider-man watching the 60s spider-man cartoon like loved that thing um you know had spider-man action figures uh the little web shooter thing that that you could get like after um you know, the Sam Raimi trilogy came out like when those films were, were going. So yeah, I would say that if there is a superhero who, you know, I have had the most kind of interest in through my life, not that I'm like a big superhero fan these days and I was never really into comics or anything like that. Um, but Spider-Man is the one. And I would say Batman is probably like secondary to that. But I would say, you know, I've soured on Batman especially because of his politics, but I did think the Christopher Nolan movies were cool. So <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. I I do recall uh being in the lineup for the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. Uh and of course I love the first two installments of that. Spider-Man three was the first IMAX movie I ever watched. Um no and I remember when they started selling the PlayStation Threes, Spider Man Three on Blu-ray would come with all of them, and the PlayStation and Spider Man Three use the same font, which I think y- exa- is just yeah. the funniest thing. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I was I was a big Toby head. Um, I loved Green Goblin in that first movie. Willem Dafoe, of course, a phenomenal actor. Alfred Molina in the second Spider Man film. They were, I think, they learned from the Batman films that like one of the biggest draws of a superhero film is the villain. So much like Jack Nicholson in Batman, they need to cast like an interesting, weird actor as the villain and. Success, they did it. Um, except, yeah, for I also, 3.
1: well, exactly. But I also read that one of the things that um, like the producers or Sam Raimi were looking for as well with the villains were people who had like had some um, kind of like Oscar awards buzz like a few years before. Um, but probably weren't like massive stars and bring those kind of people in as the villains. And you can see that like, it works so well with Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina, of course, as well. Like I love Alfred Molina, Um, but yeah, like they were just incredible villains. And I think one of the things that really stands out, especially in Sam Raimi's like representation of the villains is how they're not just like black and white bad guys, right? Like they are complex people um, who have, you know multiple motivations, and in particular with um, Doctor Octopus and with the Green Goblin, you can see that you know it, it's almost like they're they're fighting with the villain, like the character, the the person itself, like Norman Osborn and Otto Octavius are kind of fighting with their villain selves, like in the sense of the Green Goblin, he he you know takes this uh, performance enhancing like drug. And then there are moments where he's like the, the kind of evil green goblin. And then other times where he like comes back into his Norman Osborn self. And we see that in no way home as well. Um, And I think that's really well done. And then I think it's done even better with Alfred Molina as um, Dr. Octopus, where, you know, he is Otto Octavius, this like scientist who is trying to solve the energy problem. Um, And, you know, maybe we could, talk about kind of the techno-utopianism of that and and the ideology behind that. But even still, like, you know, he he is inherently like, it seems like a good person, um, you know, trying to do a good thing, really personable, um, like he's not, he doesn't seem to be an evil person. You know, maybe if we dug more into that, we'd see he's like an Elon Musk type, but at least in the representation, he, he seems good. But then, you know, this like chip that um, allows him to control the arms, he, and, and the AI that, like, helps him to control the arms, when that chip breaks, then all of a sudden the AI, like, takes over him and his brain. Um, and then he becomes Dr. Octopus. And we see at the end of the movie um, when he's able to kind of take, like, retake control of the arms and, like, push the AI back, then he becomes, like, good again Is and is actually, like, helps to... Um, Mend the problem that he created by trying to recreate his energy machine. So I, I like I think that those are such fantastic villains, and I don't think that the villains in, like the Tom Holland, uh, Homecoming series, are are allowed to be that complex except in No Way Home when some of these people come back and you know they're represented like this again.
0: Mm-hmm. I what I really loved about the villains of the. Sam Raimi films is like both what you were saying, like there's this tragic element to them where there's an inner conflict, um, but also just how intimately both Peter was connected to his villains and just how like deep the betrayal felt when they turn out to be this villain or when they discover that he's Peter Parker. Um, Like I, I I think about that Thanksgiving dinner in the first Spider-Man movie quite a bit. Um and uh, speaking of Doc Ock, um, I don't know if you played the Spider-Man PS4 game, um, but also spoilers I don't think for so, that. No. <laughs> spoilers yeah, more spoilers. For Spider-Man <laughs> PS4. Um, throughout that game, uh, Peter works as Otto Octavius' lab assistant, uh, and he works in like the field of prosthetics and everything, and he's like this great mentor to Peter. Um, but he's not the villain that Peter's fighting throughout most of the game. And then once you successfully help Doc Ock create his arms, he goes insane and you have no. to defeat him and he forms the Sinister Six. Um, And like your final confrontation with Doc Ock, it actually, it did make me cry. It, it was like, it really tapped into something where it's just like, he's this father figure to Peter Parker and he's like, I'm disappointed in you because you don't see like my incredible vision and like you're this pathetic Spider-Man person what's going on with that and then like you start to see the good version of auto breakthrough and he's like what's going on please help me and it's just like you can see like the the clear emotional conflict that that would create for peter and i think where the the disney spider-man movies get this best um i really okay so in terms of the mcu there are movies i like in the mcu um there are like a handful where i'm like this is pretty solid, and I feel like a very diminishing returns. Like you can only go back to these movies so much and enjoy them because they they are designed just to advertise the next installment. But I was I rewatched Spider Man Homecoming and Far From Home, and uh, before I watched the new one, Far From Home, I hated in the theater. Um, I liked it slightly more this time, and I think that was mostly because of Mysterio. I think that he is a pretty good villain. For spider-man especially at that point in his like emotional development and um your article talks about this too but um it's it's the class politics of the disney spider-man movies are so whack and i think that's, they're
1: atrocious yeah
0: yeah it's it's very <laughs> there's so much to talk about but this can't be the <laughs> entire episode but it could be a good chunk of it um but in Far From Home, or in Homecoming, the first one, um, I really liked Michael Keaton as the vulture. Um, and I think that, so that I. scene yeah. where um, Peter realizes that he is the dad of his high school crush, I really loved that scene because... And, and it brought into um, uh pun, stark relief, what I think a big problem with sort of the Disney-Marvel uh, movies is is that there's very little sense of danger throughout them. Like there is certainty with the Marvel movies that like most people are like the main characters will live throughout it. Um, But there was just something about like this teenage Peter Parker going to the vultures house. And he's just like, he's just playing with his knives and Peter is like visibly terrified. I was like, this is great. This is cinema. This is what I'm here for. Um, and then he just like threatens to murder this teenage boy afterwards. I, I, that was such a highlight for me. But this is all within the context of Peter Parker being like a worshiper of like an Elon Musk type superhero, Iron Man. Um, and he doesn't like Peter doesn't have a job in the MCU movies. That's something that like. Kind of just dawned on me by the end of No Way Home. It's like, wait, what does Peter Parker do? He (laughs) He does the Stark internship. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) does he get paid for that? And it was just like, because MJ has to go to work. Like, we see that in this movie. She has to work at like a, a, a coffee shop and... Peter just kind of fucks off and he's like, well, I'm, I guess I'm economically secure because I can just go to like a billionaire's secret bunker. Uh, whenever there's like Spider-Man related trouble happening. Um, but the wild but-
1: thing in no way home is that like Peter, like the Tom Holland's character in that film often references that he's broke or that he can't go to university without a scholarship. And it's like, he says these things while he's in, like, Happy's penthouse or whatever. And it's, like, the audience does not believe this. Like, you know, he's he's Peter Parker. He's associated with the Avengers. He still has these connections to, like, Stark Industries. Like, he, he's not poor. His his aunt, yeah, she dies. Okay. We can talk about what happens after that. But, like, through the film, she's, like, a philanthropist, basically. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're not hard-up people. Like, it, 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 it just... <laughs> Like, you can't believe those things. And I think, it. I think it's really fascinating what you say. I, I'm sure we'll talk more about the Tony Stark and Iron Man connection. But I think it's really fascinating what you say about the the Michael Keaton vulture stuff. Like, I completely agree with you how good that scene is when he like arrives at um the vultures house. And like, the music is so good as well. Like, you know, he's so upbeat. He's like going to prom with this uh, girl that he likes. And then like, you know Michael Keaton opens the door and it's just like everything drops and like that that is great um but i think what's so interesting there is that Michael Keaton's character um like you can see how he is not in the right but like his motivations are justified in in many mm-hmm. senses right you know he runs this salvage operation then you know his business is taken from him because of this government partnership with stark industries and and tony stark right and so then he turns turns to arms manufacturing to keep his crew employed and to you know provide for his family right and near the end after that um after you know he figures out that peter parker is spider-man and they have this like final confrontation he kind of explains to peter that like tony stark an Iron Man is the bad guy. Like, why are you mad at me for being an arms manufacturer when your hero is also an arms manufacturer? And it's like that, that narrative is like there, but like nothing is ever done with it. It's like, it's, it's kind of treated as illegitimate or like not important. And then, you know, Peter Parker and Spider-Man go on to uh, still defeat the Vulture and like help iron man and you know then the films continue and he's still an avenger and he's still looking up to iron man it's like you know that has no impact on his character or his understanding of iron man and you know that just continues through the series then
0: it's fascinating because i feel like not not to use like logic or anything but the satisfying screenwriting thing for me at least in spider-man homecoming is that peter learns that like his mentors like aren't all they're chalked up to be and he needs to learn a hard lesson about, like, hero worship. And it it would work perfectly at the end of that movie because he gets this offer of, like, oh, become an Avenger. And, like, he just sort of, like, politely declines. And he's like, oh, I'm so happy to be here, you know, with my other Marvel friends. Um, I mean, it's called Homecoming. The title of the fucking movie is a flex by Disney because they're like, yeah, we got his ass. Spider-Man's back. Exactly, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it it is disappointing. And, I mean, the... This like obviously in the MCU, they know this like Tony Stark is the source of a lot of evil within the universe. I mean, it's not dealt with seriously, but like there are problems that he creates, like maybe one of the biggest of them being in Far From Home when he gives a teenager access to like an entire drone arsenal which he almost uses to assassinate one of his classmates. Um, that is still, I think for me, the low point of uh, not necessarily all of the Marvel un- uh, universe films, but especially the Spider-Man ones where he's on this class trip and he gets these glasses that Tony leaves for him after he kicks the bucket. And it's just like, as a hero, oh, yeah.
1: of course, he kicks the yeah. bucket as a hero.
0: Yeah. The yeah. hero. And- <laughs> oh God. And, he just he gives Peter access to all these drones, um, for seemingly no reason. I don't understand how this makes Spider-Man a better hero. Like I don't understand Tony's motivations there. Um, I think and- it's
1: I think it's better to see it through the lens of like the studio's motivations. Really, like I I think one of the really interesting things about that and and about that kind of turning Spider-Man into this like character that is really reliant on these technologies um is not only how like you know the tech industry has become this like major thing over the past 20 years like since the early spider-man but i um read a recent interview with amy pascal who is like the sony producer i guess who um you know kind of manages the spider-man ip um and also kevin feige i think is feige i think that's the pronunciation But he and he's the head of Marvel Studios, and they were effectively talking about what happened after The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which was Andrew Garfield's second film, kind of, you know, shit the bed at the box office um, and what they were going to do with Spider-Man next. And, you know, Kevin kind of suggested that Spider-Man joined the MCU and Amy initially said, like, no, like threw a sandwich at him, not going to happen. Um, and then after they kind of returned to that conversation. And she was like, how would you envision it? And he was like, well, you know, Spider-Man and Iron Man could get together. And then there could be that connection to the MCU. And she was like, yeah, I'm really into that. We can turn Spider-Man from this, like, biological character into this technological character, right? Because that reflects, you know, these larger changes that have happened in society. Uh, And so then you see, like, in the early, uh, in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films, Spider-Man's powers are biological. He shoots webs from that are made from his body, right? And and he has these, like, spider-like abilities. Whereas in um, the Homecoming trilogy, uh, you know, he uses these uh, web cartridges for his webs. He has this suit that is, like, full of technology made by Iron Man and, and Tony Stark, of course, made to emulate Iron Man in many ways. Um, and he has some, like biological powers that come from a spider bite but you never actually see that because there's no origin story in these films um and so i think it's interesting to see the the changes in that character and then how those changes also kind of necessitate that also shift in like the class politics because for him to be this technological superhero he has to be close to iron man if he's close to iron man he can't be like hating billionaires and a working class dude because that wouldn't make sense so you know it's just interesting how all these things are like tied up together in that way
0: um one thing that uh struck me while you were saying that it's funny because dan slott was a spider-man writer for like 10 years and near the end of his run uh he did like an experiment where peter parker becomes a billionaire and he starts this thing called parker industries and uh he was doing it because like this is not something that peter parker should be doing right it's like the a bad outcome for the character and like readers at the time were just like what are you doing you're ruining spider-man this is horrible and like peter had this like uh spider armor that he would wear that was like very akin to iron man's suit and everyone's like this is so wrong now that is cinematic spider-man and everyone is Wild. just like yes this is my character and it's when would that have been do you remember Ooh, probably like 2015, I okay. think. Um, but right before Homecoming and everything else. Um, and it's interesting because at the end of No Way Home, I don't think we can talk about this movie chronologically, because it's just yeah. things <laughs> happening all the time. Yeah. Um, but it, this is one of the big things with Marvel movies. They gesture towards something that's like very satisfying, right? Because like at the end of the film, we see, oh, Peter's making his own costume now and it looks like the classic spider-man costume my one one of my gripes about this film you don't get a good look at the new costume i thought like there would be a triumphant look at like ah here is spider-man he's gone through all this stuff but he's spider-man you kind he's just he's always zipping around and then he just swings into the camera there's no cool slow-mo shot um and uh very disappointing <laughs> on marvel said for that give me more glamour shots of the costume a tease
1: um, you know now you got to see the next one. Oh, geez or me... they'll have some it'll it'll be like uh an after credit scene in some like future marvel movie you know
0: and i'm i'm honestly so stupid because uh at the end of no way home it's like christmas time and i was like oh they're gonna he's gonna pop up in hawkeye Cause it's, it's Christmas in the Hawkeye show and okay. that didn't happen. And I'm just like, I've been <laughs> trained by Disney to expect this. I'm just like, ah, oh, Christmas. That reminds me of this other Marvel property. Like ugh, they've, they've got me. It sucks. I hate it. it. It is like, it's absurd, right? Because like we're, we're meant to expect certain things from Disney. Right. I think it's this interesting combination of like both audience expectations have changed Uh, over the years um, not to say like oh people were like smarter or better in the past and they wanted better movies but the things that the average moviegoer wants are very different like years ago when this movie was first announced everyone was just like I want Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield to be standing with Tom Holland to say buddy you did it you're Spider-Man and I will cry and it's like (laughs) I guess on some level that would be satisfying right but I think the main thing I want is like for the movie around it to be like good and cool. Um, but it's like, that's not the important thing or like who's directing it or who's playing who it's just like, there are certain beats that you need to hit with like the larger Marvel story with the multiverse, which is the big thing they're building out now for the future of the Marvel cinematic multiverse. Ah, get rid of that you. Um, and we need to bring back old actors. We need to bring back old villains uh retread previous plot points that you saw in other films and that is the satisfying thing it's just get the old thing (laughs) like i i i don't know there's been so much said about nostalgia and popular culture and this was just like i on the whole i think i enjoyed no way home i had fun with it um but i was looking at like some of the reviews for this not necessarily like critical reviews um but this has like a 99% audience score on rotten tomatoes i think it is now the highest rated film on rotten tomatoes by uh verified users because now they need to prove that they bought a ticket to the film which <laughs> is a, a very interesting move from rotten tomatoes It's kind Um, of
1: ridiculous though, right? Like, you know, they often say that Marvel movies get inflated um, ratings anyway, not just from audiences, but from reviewers as well. And so I think you bring in also the Spider-Man aspect of that, as I was saying, like one of the most beloved superheroes, you know, I think it just blows it through the roof. And then you have the nostalgia aspect of bringing back all these characters from the past. Like, you know, it's made for this, even though it's totally not like the best movie that's ever come out this year or ever or anything like that. Like, you know, it's just another big, blockbuster but people love this shit
0: yeah and like it's funny because even the promise of what's to come next like oh now we can really see tom holland be spider-man what did i just watch i had to watch three movies to get to oh now he's spider-man like it's it's absurd like i mean (laughs) i i am a dog who's sitting waiting for the treat right and like my master just keeps like it's in his pocket or his hands are empty and it's just like you have to wait two years for the next treat and i'm just like okay i'm excited because i see that bag and eventually that bag will be opened and i will be able to smell what's inside but it's always kept away from me because like people think now like oh the next spider-man movie he's gonna go to college and he's gonna oh the lizard is is his professor but what we're gonna get is all the old spider man are going to come back again. There's going to be even more spider man Like, if this movie is going to make so much money, especially during a pandemic, I mean, the whole, like, having theatrical releases during a time where everyone's getting sick, questionable. Um, but um, they're not locally, going to, like, uh,
1: Locally, some of the IMAX Spider-Man showings on the opening weekend have been listed as exposure events now, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i don't know what's uh, gonna happen with that <laughs>
0: um i did see this very funny meme uh sorry this meme corner of the podcast i guess um it's just this guy sipping on tea and it's like uh audience members will truly have no way home while i disperse like a toxic gas into the theater <laughs> and it's just like no the toxic gas we're breathing it um everyone's gonna get coped from this um but um, like we I said, mean, we
1: got COVID out of the way before we started recording. We were wrong. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Um, Like th- they've had their first taste of the elixir, right? Of like bring back the old Spider-Man. They're not going to go back. Like there's, there's no, they've opened up Andrew Garfield's box and they cannot close it. Um, And, you know, as, as fun as it was to see them in this, like there is that sort of promise of like, and we're gonna do it again next time. Can't wait to see these guys pop up again. And we were chatting uh, at the beginning of the podcast about Secret Wars, um, which, if you're not a if you're not a modern comic book head, uh, well, Secret Wars was a was a big Marvel toy commercial slash comic book in the '80s that they did jointly with either Hasbro or Mattel. Um, which was just like, look at all these new designs for the characters. And that's where Spider-Man's black suit comes from, uh, because they wanted a new Spider-Man action figure. And then later they were like, ah, it's Venom. Um, and then in 2015, I believe, um, they turned it into an actually very good in my estimation, comic book crossover where Dr. Doom becomes God and recreates, the universe in his image but of course it's from different continuities of Marvel comic books um and it's all about Reed Richards and Doctor Doom and it it's it's a good story but it is like oh all the multiverses are crossing over or whatever so that is like that's out there as like the next target for Marvel after they did like the Infinity Gauntlet story it's like what's the next big thing we can do because these movies have to keep getting bigger and bigger or else they will die like, I feel like as soon as audiences, especially today, feel like a lack of momentum with the overall Marvel story, they will not be invested anymore. Like, that's that's my theory, at least. Like, even the TV shows, like with Hawkeye and everything, spoilers for Hawkeye, they have to go, like, here's the next, like, two series we're doing after this. Here's a character from Black Widow. Here's Kingpin. Like, it needs to keep promising the next thing. And Secret Wars is definitely the next thing.
1: Honestly, like, I hate all this stuff, to be quite frank. Um, (laughs) Like, I I have several thoughts, but I'll just start by saying that um, I, I used to watch the Marvel movies, like when they were getting started with the MCU, but then it just got way too overwhelming for me. And like, I kind of watched most of them up until Avengers Endgame. But I I was already saying like years before that, I was like, when that one comes, then I am done. Like I'm not watching anything else at that point because I'm so mm-hmm. fed up with having to keep track of like so many different series of movies just to understand what go what's going on. Like it's 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 just wild to me that so many people actually do. To be qu- to be quite honest. Um, on your larger point though about you know all of this multiverse shit and and what is coming, I would say first of all I think Andrew Garfield kind of got shafted as Spider Man. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting to watch the interviews that he's done since that series was canceled, where he says, like, I wanted Spider-Man to, like, be more working class, but, like, the studio had very different ideas for what they wanted the character to be. And so I think you can see his kind of, like, amazing Spider-Man series as kind of, like, the bridge between the working class Spider-Man of Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi, and, you know, what Spider-Man becomes the the kind of billionaire loving technology enhanced spider-man of like the tom holland era so i think that's like an interesting bridge point but i think like as i was saying i'm already so fed up with like marvel cinematic universe stuff um personally and then to hear that the future of this could be like not only this like cinematic universe that's referencing referencing back to all of these comics and trying to like recreate this comic universe in cinematic form and now you know on the streaming with all the all the TV series. Um but then on top of that, for the future to be not only finding like a new way to bring more characters together in one of these kind of Avengers endgame kind of uh series that that brings in everyone together in one movie, but then also to need to call back to its own cinematic universe up to this point and have them like part of it as well like it it just seems way too overwhelming for me and like like you know as I said I I I struggle to understand why so many people are like invested in this and paying attention to it because it just seems like way too much of a commitment personally um for like a product that is not stellar uh, in my opinion to be to be quite frank um so yeah you know in terms of the ending of no way home i think i felt hopeful with the ending in terms of how it looks from a story perspective but i think then thinking about the economics of where this needs to go and the the kind of drive of the producers that are guiding it amy pascal and and kevin feige um like there's no way to be hopeful about where it's going to go because as you were saying it ends like um, s- nobody remembers who Peter Parker is or that he's Spider-Man um, or, or I guess some people probably know who Spider-Man like that Spider-Man exists because he's still like flying around but nobody knows he's Peter Parker and nobody knows who Peter Parker is. So like Mary Jane or Michelle whatever she's called in this one Michelle Jones or whatever <laughs> MJ uh, and his buddies and all the Avengers forget who he is right. And so he, like, enters this, like, you know, shitty apartment. He, he looks like he doesn't have, like, all of this Tony Stark tech anymore. And it's like, okay, like, he can actually be Spider-Man now. But, like, if he is Spider-Man, if he is, like, the working class Spider-Man of, like, the Tobey Maguire era and so many of the comics, like, does that really work for the MCU? Like, you know, where is the benefit of that kind of a Spider-Man for this larger series? And how does he then get roped into this larger kind of multiverse story? Like, there's just no way that I can see the producers allowing him to become who Spider-Man should actually be. There will inevitably be a way to pull him back into all of this bullshit.
0: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I think, yeah, basically the only thing they can do is like gesture towards a Spider-Man that we're more familiar with. Like you were saying with the amazing Spider-Man movies, like they're these, I, I think it's important to recognize that like blockbuster movies to me, they always feel like spaces of competition. Like there are so many voices and interests trying to make them into one thing. Like, I mean the Sony executives like Amy Pascal, um, I don't know if Avi Arid's around anymore or if he's producing Spider-Man movies. Maybe he's dead. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> There's like, nothing
1: the Sony producers love to do more than fuck up a Spider-Man series. So.
0: Oh, exactly. And like they're, they're hell bent on it. Like it's never stopped. Like not only is, are the MCU Spider-Man movies being developed uh, like jointly between Sony and Disney. There's also like the Spider-Man extended cinematic universe with Venom and all of the other villains
1: like, yeah, this one Morpheus comes early in the new year. Right. And I watched the trailer for that a few weeks ago and it looks like shit. Like, I I don't see <laughs> the appeal of this at all. Like, and
0: Morpheus? like, nobody knows
1: who this guy is. Like, you know, no. he's not like a name that people are like, oh man, I had to go see the new Morpheus movie. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: and, and you know what? It's so bad. I just realized his name is actually Morbius. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, it's so forgettable, but it's it's really funny because it's like, okay, I thought the second Venom movie was entertaining because it leaned into, like, actually, this is a queer romance between Tom Hardy and Venom, and it's <laughs> almost like a breakup movie, and I think that was a funny thing to do, and it's like 90 minutes um, because they gutted the budget for it to make as much money as possible. Um, but not only are they doing a Morbius movie, they're also doing a Craven the Hunter solo movie with one of Hollywood's most boring actors, Aaron Taylor Johnson, playing Craven Hunter, like this iconic Spider-Man villain. And I have no idea what the goal with all of these films are, because it's like, okay, you get all, you've developed all of these Spider-Man villains independently. What do they do when they're together without Spider-Man being in them? Like, why are they interesting in isolation from Spider-Man. And they're not able to answer that question at all because like the gas is out of the tank for the Venom stuff, as far as I can tell. Um, yeah. Because it's like, okay, Venom one, he fights another guy who looks like him. Venom two, he fights the red one who looks like him. Venom three, uh, he fights himself. I don't know, he fights <laughs> Venom's little brother. I don't know. Um, but it's it's unbelievable because like, I, I, th- I think Sony almost brings into clearer relief like what superhero movies are like they are just like you know they're they're just vehicles to generate money and sony doesn't care about the fans and that's so important in terms of like seeing these for what they really are right it's like they don't care about the comics they don't care about like the universe or like what people expect it's just like no it's a spy it's a guy that kind of relates to spider-man We're making the movie. You have to see it, right? (laughs) Like there might be a connection to Spider-Man because at the end of the second Venom movie, there's an after credit scene where Venom shows up in the MCU and it's like, oh, Venom's going to confront Spider-Man. And then in No Way Home, Venom is not in the film. And then you have to wait for an after credit scene for Venom to be babbling in a bar about how weird the MCU is. He goes back to his home universe and then he leaves a little symbiote thing on the bar. So it's like, wait, we're not even going to get the Tom Hardy Venom character that they've been developing to fight the Tom Holland Spider-Man or live in the same universe as that Spider-Man. It's just here he is. And now he's gone. And now it's just a world building exercise where now there's the goop in this world. That was
1: his whole purpose.
0: Yeah. It was so funny. And like just deranged. And not only was that after credit scene bad, um, I don't know if you watch the after credit scenes, but um I I second- watched
1: the Venom one and then I was yeah. like, okay, let's leave because I knew the next one was about Mr. Strange or whatever, and like I do not <laughs> give a shit about that guy. So <laughs> I left. Yeah. The-
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because like it's not even like a traditional after-credit scene, it's just a teaser trailer for the next <laughs> Doctor Strange movie. Like, it has nothing to do with Spider-Man. It's just like, here's what we filmed with Sam Raimi, and, you know, who knows how much Sam Raimi actually directed it. Like, people have been very nostalgic about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. I think for good reason. Like, they are very well-made films, and especially the practical effects of it all. But I keep thinking about how just, like, fun it looked on the set of Spider-Man 2 with the Alfred Molina uh, physical Doc Ock arms. And now I imagine Sam Raimi, like in the volume or on a big green screen at disney going like okay dr strange and now here comes a big uh tentacle monster and now you do the spell against him and he falls apart and it's like wow cinema has really come a long way and if anything (laughs) it's getting better and better
1: yeah like i i you know i i realized after i wrote the article that sam raimi was doing the next uh dr strange as well and i was like you know, I, I had that same moment where I was like, can he still make a movie that is so, like, I would say good for a superhero movie um, in that kind of universe and with those kind of constraints? You know, because the thing that I feel like Marvel often gets a lot of credit for is for bringing in a lot of different directors. But I feel like what actually happens is they bring in these directors for the name recognition. But in many cases kind of then suck the life out of their films. Um, Like, you know, recently Chloe Zhao did that Eternals film. And like, there was all this kind of um, discourse about how this is like going to be this diverse film. And she was bringing her like filmmaking qualities with like her use of landscape, um, you know, filmmaking and all this kind of stuff to it. And like, I'll I'll, I'll be honest, I did not see that film, um, but I heard it was crap. (laughs) <laughs> and you know, it doesn't live up to it. Whereas, you know, you look back at Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films that like did use a lot of practical effects that were, that were really deliberate about the CGI that they used because obviously at the time CGI was not as advanced. And so, you know, when you had to use it, you had to be very particular about which scenes you used it on and you couldn't just use it for everything in the way that Marvel uses it today. Um, And like, as you say, when it comes to Doc Ock, like, his arms were most of the time like real. Actually, they are being moved around by puppeteers. And like that film has like, you know, such a style to it. And like for a, a superhero film, like has these real kind of horror elements, especially like, you know, the scene where he is in the operating room and then like the tentacles like attack all of the um doctors and stuff around him and then like have that moment where they're clearly like taking control of him and he can't control them anymore like it's just so well done in a way that I don't feel you can have with um a, with like a marvel superhero film personally like I I don't really care for them to be honest um and especially a film like Doctor Strange like I don't know for me that guy like I just don't understand the appeal of that character like and he was in No Way Home right and I was like why is like I know he has to cast the spells and stuff like that to get the multiverse going, but like other than that, I don't, I don't care about this guy. Like, and I think Benedict <laughs> Cumberbatch, like you know, he's he's generally a good actor. Like, I don't care about him in this role. I, I really, like, I really don't get it. <laughs> personally,
0: I'm, I'm sorry. I think that when you said he needs to cast the spells to get the multiverse going, I think that just reiterates like how dumb yeah. these movies are. And like it's just it's so funny because it's like the magic goes bad. And then like at the end of the film when he's trying to repair the damage or whatever, it's one of the dumbest things I've seen in one of these Marvel movies. Um and granted this is in a movie that I thought was like okay. I, I kind of liked it. Yeah. Um but it's it's not even my favorite MCU Spider-Man movie. I think that's still homecoming, but this it has moments. But I like I would cr- I would
1: say that I really like this one because mm-hmm. like like the reason that I like this one is because the characters from the other series are back and yeah. it's not just all about these Marvel movies and I feel like and and like these Marvel characters and the Avengers and all this all this shit right like it allows you to kind of take a break from that take a step back from it and actually interact with something else um and I feel like that is the positive aspect of this film for me. Like I do actually think Tom Holland is an okay Spider-Man. I don't like how um, they have designed his character in the sense of his class background, his reliance on technology, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, some of the dialogue I think is, is horrible. Um, but like, I, I think he has potential to be a better Spider-Man and it's kind of ridiculous that like three, three movies in, we're like maybe the next trilogy will <laughs> allow him to really, you know, become the Spider-Man he should be, which is really ridiculous. Um, and, you know, you you even get that line um, with great power comes great responsibility, uh, which is like so key to like Spider-Man and like his origin story. And it's like early on in the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield ones. And in this one, you get it like halfway through or like near to the end of this um, of this movie. And so it's like three movies in, we finally get this like line as though like he's finally coming into himself as like a Spider-Man. And it's like, why did we need to wait this long? Um, but yeah, so for me, I, I think it was really like, especially having Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe back. And for me, like, you know, I love those early Spider-Man films. Seeing Tobey Maguire back as as well was really good for me. And personally, the amazing Spider-Man people, Andrew Garfield, I thought he was okay. Um, Lizard, total shit, couldn't care less. Like, I really thought he was a bad villain. Um, and um electro as well i i don't really like him like they gave him a facelift in this one which was nice i guess um but i i really don't think he's a very good villain either personally um it it was really just having those those characters from the early uh sam raimi films that made it better for me because i feel like you know as as i was saying earlier i feel like the villains in so many of these marvel films are like really two dimensional right like they're not allowed to be complex people and when they are you know as we talked about with the vulture it's like you can see that he's complex but the marvel films won't actually pick up on that or allow him to like really get into it um in a, in a way that actually has any kind of effect on the story um whereas i feel like you know you bring Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina back in particular, and that does kind of have an effect on the film itself because you have like you know Willem Dafoe again going back and forth between Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin, and you have Alfred Molina like you know he still has these arms, but then he can see that like wait this is different, something's going on here, and you can see that like it's kind of clicking with it like you know something something's happening there, and then they repair his chip and he's back to being. Otto Octavius, but with the arms, and that really affects you know his character, right? And so, you know, I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. And then, of course, having at the end where there's this like potential for a different Spider-Man, I thought that was really interesting. But that's why you know the film kind of appealed to me.
0: Mm-hmm. I I want to get more into the villains, but I did just want to uh, bookmark this very dumb moment for me um, when they're at the Statue of Liberty for the final battle, which also reminds me there was this insipid fan theory that was popular on YouTube um, because I exposed myself to so much of this dumb shit. Cause I think I do actually know about this though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where people thought that um, because this movie is going to like kickstart the multiverse or whatever for Marvel, that the Fox X-Men would appear during the final battle because the end of the first X-Men movie also takes place on the Statue of Liberty. And, like wolverine and rogue and everything would be there and it's like i know not a soul alive who is nostalgic for the fox x-men movies like
1: (laughs) ian McKellen is
0: magneto though come on Uh oh yeah and it's like of the of the marvel characters i love the x-men i legitimately love the x-men they're my favorite marvel characters by far um i think some of those x-men movies are watchable uh i do think logan is good um but and yeah ian mckellen uh patrick stewart phenomenal perfect casting Um, exactly but and i know i fucking know they're gonna bring those bastards back before they die to be in secret wars to go like (laughs) oh charles it looks like the multiverse is breaking open like they're gonna do that but they've already kind of
1: had like their their multiverse time travel moment with the x-men though right
0: exactly like Days of Future Past was one of the big templates for this. Because I remember the appeal of that movie was really big. It's like, oh, you're going to see the two Professor X's meet up with each other. I I remember really liking that movie when it came out. I have not revisited Days of Future Past in a long <laughs> time. But I do, I do recall enjoying it. Um, but the weirdest thing for me, which seemed to go against the sensibility of, like, the multiverse gives us these, like, new storytelling opportunities to cram in more Spider-Man people um, where you see like all of the people in the multiverse who know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man are being drawn to the Marvel cinematic universe by this spell that Dr. Strange fucked up and Peter fucked up. Um, And you just see these like glowing silhouettes of people. And that was so weird to me. It's like, they're all floating in space. Like, they couldn't come up with like a cool concept for how they would do it. So the only things I could recognize, I saw a silhouette of the rhino and I saw a silhouette of Craven, and that that was all I knew. And it's like, there's no satisfaction to it at all. And that's something they were really teasing in the trailers for this. Like you see the sky cracking open and Doctor Strange is like, I can't keep them back. And people are like, oh, whoa, there's going to be like a cool secret thing at the end of this movie. There is not. Uh, <laughs> it is literally just like, Here's the briefest glimpse at some things because we're not even in like pre-production for Craven the Hunter. So we don't know what he's going to look like. Uh, And fuck it. Here's the Rhino. He's probably not even going to show up in these movies. And and also
1: they're obviously not going to let Sony's Craven the Hunter appear in the MCU. So like, that's not even going to happen anyway, in the same way that Venom can only make an appearance in an after credit scene as like, you know, a a bone to like the fans and say, look, we we know you're thinking about this, but not gonna happen, right? And just on your on your YouTube moment, I actually thought you were gonna reference something else because another well, I don't pay as much attention to this, but the scene that stood out to me was when, you know, everyone was talking about how there's a scene in the trailer where Spider-Man is like jumping toward three of the villains, like Lizard and yep. two other ones. I can't remember which ones now. Um and they were like the the lizard makes a like looks like he's hit but nothing hits him and they were like so did they like just take out the other two spider-men because it's all cg anyway just Mm -hmm. in the trailer and when that scene came on i was like yep there are the two spider-men they were all there and in the trailer sony or excuse me disney just took out the two spider-men like i don't know i i don't i don't like that because like you know altering the movie for a trailer because you're trying to keep something secret in it I don't know that that kind of stuff doesn't go over well with me
0: it I'm really glad you brought that up um because that is something that Disney has done for a very long time with their uh Marvel trailers the I mean the one that sticks out to me is Infinity War um because they digitally altered how many infinity stones thanos had at one point to like add drama because because they only highlighted that he got the power stone at the beginning of the movie but then they show scenes from like this battle on titan but he has more infinity stones in the actual movie so they digitally cut out all of them except for the power stone um to add some suspense to it um but this was like really uh garish because it's obvious like in the shot composition, as much as these shots can be composed, like aspects have clearly been taken out because it's like one Spider-Man is going towards one villain and then two others are going above and below him in a straight line. So it's like, okay, clearly there's something going on. And then there's a shot of like Spider-Man landing uh on the Statue of Liberty with like a lot of negative space to his left and his right. Yeah. And I'm just like, I like to me it would have made more sense if they just marketed the movie with toby Maguire and andrew garfield like everyone knew what this movie was going to be beforehand it's not a spoiler to say that like oh the villains from the other spider-man movies are going to be in it guess who's also going to be in it um but uh the one thing that i well one of the things i appreciated about no way home I thought
1: thought that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield kind of got shafted where they weren't even invited to the premieres as well because they were supposed (laughs) to, like, not be in the movie, right? Or, like, not do any press or anything. Like, I would have liked to hear what Tobey Maguire had to say. Maybe there'll be an interview now that, like, it's revealed, but yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's like when... I mean, a movie that I cared about too much when it was a much more cursed film, Justice League, the 2017 yeah. one. Henry Cavill was on the press tour for that movie, but couldn't say he was in the film because he died in Batman versus Superman. <laughs> um, so that was really funny. But it, it is a very I should also thing say as, as well, maybe.
1: Here. Yeah, I should also say that maybe part of the reason that they didn't want Andrew Garfield in the press tour is that he has actually been critical of the representation of spider-man in these movies and how he's not like working class and how he's friends with iron man so yeah maybe maybe there was another incentive there
0: (laughs) get him out of here exactly (laughs) Um, well
1: that's and that's part of the reason that sony ditched andrew garfield uh from the amazing spider-man trilogy is that he like didn't show up for an event and like that got the, the the studio really angry and that was one of the reasons why they were like, fuck it, we're going to remake these movies and not do another one with him.
0: I think Tom Holland, uh, God love him. I think he's also on his way out uh, for being Spider-Man because like, in a lot of the press things, he's just been talking about how tired he is of acting and how he's looking forward to like focusing on his personal life. He also shit-talked the Uncharted movie before it came out. So really? mad props to him. Um, <laughs> because I mean, I don't think anyone likes that Tom Holland is... Nathan Drake from Uncharted. Like he's he he's a little boy. He's not a cool yeah. Indiana Jones guy, but he he was talking Mark about, Wahlberg I,
1: is also in that movie. Oh like God. bad casting. Like, no.
0: Yeah. Um, and of course, for his crimes against the Vietnamese people, Mark Wahlberg will receive justice probably in heaven. Uh <laughs> but at least on earth we are, you know, stuck in this purgatory of Mark Wahlberg being in movies. Um it but, does seem uh, like
1: they are trying to turn Tom Holland into like a leading man. And yes, like I, you know, I kind of get the impression that I'm not sure that that's what he wants to become. Like, you know, this is pure projection right here as well. But I, it's interesting to me that like Vigo Mortensen was like Aragorn in, you know, the Lord of the Rings films, also 20th anniversary of those around now. And then like he did that like one blockbuster series and like has never appeared in a blockbuster since and like went on to do indie movies. And you see something similar with like, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, I believe her name is, they did the twilight films really huge. Maybe they have done some other blockbuster stuff. Like I know Pattinson was in uh, Harry Potter, but like for the most part after that success, then they went on to do like independent films as well, which are generally like quite good. Like I did not really like them when they did twilight, but they have like totally rehabilitated their reputations in my eyes from doing like all these like independent films. And so, It does make me wonder, like, is this what uh, Tom Holland desires to do or would he like to go more that path? And whereas you have like Timothy Chalamet, who is juggling like independent, like smaller films, plus these big blockbusters that he's appearing in as well. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think it's interesting
0: prayer is out for timothy chalamet uh, yeah. i am hoping he can balance it all uh, as of course Maud Deeb and uh, you know everyone's next favorite a24 character i don't know what he's doing next but uh, <laughs> he's a great paul um but no it's like i i feel bad for tom holland like i think he's like a good enough actor um but he's just in so much shit like yeah i'm i'm very much oversaturated with tom holland content um, like Same. there are even rumors people are like, oh, Tom Holland could be the next James Bond. And like, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> that is, I mean, okay. I like Tom Holland. i will give him a chance. I James Bond is probably my favorite film franchise. I I have I I care too much about that film um and if Tom Holland is James Bond i think that might be the necessary motivation for me to stop caring about James <laughs> Bond so maybe it's a good move if he if he does get it but yeah like i think like marvel uh they try to think in like 10 year plans right they're like we we've got all of our shit figured out so i i think Tom Holland probably doesn't want to be Spider-Man for the rest of his life but they will keep him there for as long as possible until they can kill him off and replace him with miles
1: yeah and you know they've locked him in for at least three more movies it seems like it i know in the press tour zendaya was joking that like he's he's gonna be playing spider-man until he's like in his 30s and he's 25 or something right now and you know it does make you wonder like is you know as i was saying is that something that i'm sure he's he's gonna be paid very very well for it um but like creatively and personally is that really what he wants to be doing especially after doing three of them now and being in all these other MCU films. You know, based on the press tour, it seems like maybe he's getting a bit tired of it, but I guess that's it.
0: Um, One thing I wanted to to check in with you on, I mean, because we're talking about No Way Home, uh, the other Spider-Men, the other Spider-Mans who appear in the film, because, I mean, that's a big draw of it. I have to say I am... I'm both pleasantly surprised with how they used the other Spider-Man, but there's also a big asterisk there. Um like I I'm glad that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield weren't just there for like a cameo. They did have like substantial roles in the film. Um and I really I do really think that Andrew Garfield's introduction was so funny um when he's at like uh like ned's family's house and he's like stuck to the ceiling and then he has to clean out a cobweb i thought that was very funny um but also i think that it does sort of it's tough because i want to say it misses the mark because i feel like the big appeal of bringing in like almost future versions of spider-man is that you get to see like where they're at like where their lives are but i think because of the very like tricky franchise management sony needs to do you only get like crumbs of what's going on with them like the only thing we learn about andrew garfield spider-man is that he's become like more burnt out and like violent as spider-man and toby Maguire, you only learn that he's made it work with mj that's it
1: it seems like the andrew garfield spider-man is like still hung up on gwen and you wonder like how much longer since her death has it been like is he still dwelling on this like five, six, seven, ten years later?
0: Yeah, and and I think that what worked about a movie like into the Spider-Verse is that, well, I mean it it embraced its comic bookiness and and this does too. But you got like little mini introductions to every new character and you got a glimpse into like their world and you know they have to return to it. And I feel like there was there was like a, a an arc so those characters that was pretty satisfying um but with these guys it's like i did like oh okay my favorite parts of this movie are like the group therapy sessions with all the spiderman like i i thought they were very well handled and i would watch a movie that is just like toby maguire cracking andrew garfield's back uh that was very <laughs> fun for me as an audience member um but uh it it's also like sort of a letdown because they they do have substantial roles to like support peter and his emotional development but at the same time the appeal of having these characters return is to like go back to those worlds for a little bit like a a crossover that far fewer people watched but is near and dear to my heart is when the cw did crisis on infinite earths which is like the biggest DC crossover of all time that for some reason they let the TV shows do. Um, But Tom Welling's Superman from Smallville comes back for that. And like, you get like a good like five minute scene with him and you get caught up on everything that's happened to him and it's very satisfying. And then he leaves and it's just like, wow, that feels like perfect for that character. Um, like even Brandon Routh Superman gets like a very satisfying narrative arc in that show, um, but with these guys, I feel like they're leaving that on the table because they know they're coming back for the either the next Spider Man movie or Secret Wars, or maybe they'll just be like, you know what, we're making Amazing Spider Man three. We don't care anymore. <laughs> like Andrew Garfield, we we got him a check. Um, but uh, what did you think about the inclusion of of the Spider Men's? You know,
1: I think what you're saying there is really interesting, right? Because we've been talking about how, when it comes to the villains, Marvel is not very good at handling, like, nuance and complexity. Like, they really need to just be in service of this kind of larger storyline that is happening. And I think you feel that as well with these other Spider-Men that get brought in, right? Like, it's not anything about them. They are just there to satisfy, you know, the fan desire to see them next to tom holland um but also to serve you know tom Holland's spider-man and the development of that character right like that is why we don't find out so much about those spider-men because whatever they are doing is not important to what is happening to tom holland and and how they can serve him and and make some like comparisons and jokes that are like funny and that that the audience is going to pick up on like you know the the webs and how Toby makes his own webs and they're like do webs come out from anywhere else and it's like come on guys like seriously like yes okay we know the joke that has always been made about Spider-Man in that way but like does this really need to be in the film i i personally i don't think so but yeah but you know i think i was happy to see them come back from for the simple reason that you know as i've said before if there's any superhero that i really like it's spider-man personally i will Mm -hmm. see any spider-man movie you know i don't watch many superhero movies i'm not very interested in the mcu but if a spider-man movie is coming out even if it's one that like you're losing aspects of because you don't know about the larger mcu i will still go see it because i tend to like spider-man um and so for me, I was really happy to see Tobey Maguire Spider-Man come back again, even though we don't find out a whole lot more about him. You know, I agree with you that I think the introduction of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man was, you know, really well done. Um, even the introduction of, like, the Peter Parker Spider-Man, because he's not, like, in the suit or anything, and they open the portal, and he just, like, walks up and there's like, it's just a dude. Like, this is not working <laughs> at all, you know? Like, I, I, th- I did think it was funny, but... And I and I enjoyed like the group therapy sessions when they're like making the technological cures for all of these superheroes, which is, you know, a whole other thing, I think. Um, And and having those those kind of that kind of banter and discussion. I, I did enjoy it. Right. But at the same time, I agree with you that I think that they were there just there to serve, you know, Sony and Disney's purposes with their larger kind of franchise, not to actually. You know, do anything to build those characters or or add anything interesting to them. Um, they they had a larger purpose. They played it. They're going to make a lot of money for uh Disney and Sony. Uh, and yeah, I, I guess that's what they do.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's so weird. Like I I enjoyed the other Spider Men in this movie. Um, like of of course I'm I'm not immune to nostalgia for things I like, like obviously I very much totally. enjoyed, uh, Toby Maguire coming back. I didn't care for the amazing Spider-Man movies, but Andrew Garfield is like a great Spider-Man. So, uh, it was, it was also fun to see him back. I, I liked all the, the banter between them. Um, but you know, that's, that's sort of the ceiling on what this movie can be. Right. It's like the satisfaction on that level of seeing the, the old things come back. So, And and it's also interesting because like they're allowed to age in a way that the Spider-Man villains cannot um, because like Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina both have been like digitally touched up for the movie yeah, um, because they need to be like the same ages um, that they were in their, in their movies. And I have to say like, it looks good like to my eye at least like it didn't look too Garish because in the first trailer for No Way Home, like when Alfred Molina was revealed, he looked like it was like, you know, PlayStation cutscene uh type it was bad. vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they worked those fucking digital artists overtime. Like all the people, uh mercifully non-union that Disney needs to get these movies out the door. Um, they had to like you can see the comparisons, uh, you know, of the touch up with doc ock especially um and uh I, of course it's very saddening the labor conditions that uh that uh, people are in in uh this industry um maybe beyond the scope of this episode yeah. uh, much like how spider-man is trying to cure his villains which is a a whole thing I, I i have to say the my one thing that i will say about this the recontextualization of comic book villains as like they're only like disorders or like they're vessels for like different mental illnesses it's like much more troubling narratively than what they're doing in the first place like if they took like someone like harvey two-face and they're like oh actually he's suffering from like did and like you know batman needs to like lock him up in an asylum to get him like the right treatment or something it's like are those comic book movies now? Like, is that more stigmatizing? And like, the solution to that is like, I created a tech gizmo that I stick on you that makes you sane. Like, I don't know. That's that's a whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, like maybe, yeah, maybe a bit too much to get into.
1: Yeah, it, you um, know, it, it is wild to observe that though, right? Like, it, it was something that immediately stood out to me, especially when you think about, you know, how Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige have you know, talk about how this Spider-Man series is transforming it into this more like technologically oriented superhero and obviously then villains as well because these villains are, are that we see in this movie, yes, they're being cured by like various technologies, but also the two previous villains are very reliant on specific technologies as well to be the villains in the same way that Tony Stark isn't a superhero. He just has great tech from his military uh, arms manufacturer, right? So, yeah, uh, you know, again, I think it's it's a whole other conversation, but it's another whole element of like these films and and kind of the ideological work. I think that is at play in them.
0: And uh, that does make me think, how would how would Peter Parker cure Mysterio or Vulture? Like give the, <laughs> d- class consciousness, def- d- destroying Tony Stark, uh, redistributing his assets. This is this is where we need to go. He um, can't
1: understand that, though, right? Like. You know, no. he's not allowed to understand that Tony Stark is the bad guy. And for me, like, that would really be the future, right? Like, if if you're ending the film and you're like, okay, Peter Parker is like, has no friends now. Nobody cares about him. Nobody knows who he is. And he's poor. So he has to be this working class Spider-Man. Like, this is, if there's ever going to be a moment where he reflects on, how he treated Iron Man as this idol, as this person to be worshipped, like this is the moment to do it. But you know that Sony and Disney are not going to allow that to happen because Iron Man is a massive cash cow, you know, before the Iron Man films with Tony Stark, if my reading is, is correct. You know, Iron Man was, you know, one of the Avengers, one of these Marvel superheroes, but he wasn't like one of these main ones that everyone knew in the way that they do now. Right. Those films Mm -hmm. really transform that. And in particular, Robert Downey Jr.'s representation of Tony Stark. And so they are not going to destroy that by then having a whole Spider-Man narrative where he's like, wait, maybe Tony Stark is a war criminal and actually really terrible and like we shouldn't be worshiping him like that's not something that will be allowed in this universe
0: mhm um i think i'm ready to get into final thoughts on the movie paris how about yourself absolutely cool um so final thoughts on spider-man no way home uh i enjoyed it i thought it was fine enough as a as a popcorn film with the sole goal of look at these old things um in terms of comparing it to other Fortnite esque films, uh, like uh, uh, the Lego Movie or Space Jam: A New Legacy, <laughs> it is it is better than those. Um, but uh, I mean, ultimately, pretty pretty empty. Once you contrast it to you know where all of this comic book storytelling could be going in a in a more exciting direction, and I mean, it is just it's Sony and Disney franchise management. Um, so there, there's a ceiling to how good that can be, but I thought Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were fun. I thought it was fine to see them and, uh, Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina talking to each other, probably not actually physically on a set. Um, that was neat, uh, for me to see Doc Ock and Greed Goblin chat with each other for a little bit. Um, and yeah, my final, final thought on Spider-Man No Way Home Um, the best parts of it maybe are when the villains are, are talking with each other and the lizard does promise to, uh, give Electro a makeover and turn him into a lizard, uh, which I thought was phenomenal. Um, and I mean, there's a proud tradition of, uh, Spider-Man villain comics. Um, I think it's called like the superior foes of Spider-Man is a recent one. Um, so if there is just a movie of those guys hanging out, I would watch it. Um, so Paris, what are your final thoughts on Spooderman? No way home.
1: You know, it, it sounds like that those villain comics, that's probably what Sony is trying to work toward with its like its, its own Spider-Man films that are not part Absolutely. of the MCU, but like it's not going to happen, right? It's just not no. going to work. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, thoughts on Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home. Uh, you know, I would say I'm not going to give it a 99% as as, <laughs> you know, the, the audience on Rotten Tomatoes might, um, you know, I'd say it's like a solid 70, something like that. Like, you know, I enjoyed it enough to go see it. It has Spider-Man's, the things that I like, you know, as you were saying, like, you know, it hit that nostalgia chord that I was looking for, that I was going into this film expecting, you know, I was going to go see it either way, you know, whether it was just Tom Holland and his buddies and a few Avengers. Um, But for me, obviously, what really made it was seeing uh those characters from Sam Raimi's trilogy come back and, and you know, kind of what they brought to the film that I feel like you might not often see in uh, an MCU kind of Spider-Man film. I think that um, I really enjoyed seeing Willem Dafoe. I really enjoyed seeing Alfred Molina in particular, like, you know, love their characters, love them as actors. So I was really happy about that. I think it's really funny also to watch the interviews that they've done about it, where like, you know it's it's interesting the way that they talk about working on on the film and it seems like they're trying to say more positive things than they might actually think in their minds but you know it's a paycheck right um i also think it's interesting for what it sets up for the future where things could go with the character but i think that you know what would be best for the story we know is often not served because what that would mean for the prophets uh is is not as good. So, you know, I think unfortunately we're going to see some way that, as you say, he'll be somehow brought back into this larger universe instead of allow- being allowed to be his own character, his own thing, you know, more reflective of uh, much of the Spider-Man kind of storylines through the comics that we've seen over time. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it was enjoyable enough. I don't feel any like particular desire to go watch it again or anything. Like I'm not you know crazy over it or anything but you know it was good enough it was a good break of 2 hours or so um yeah
0: cool let's get into recomradations fan favorite segment where we chat about the pieces of media life experiences or anything else under the sun that we've enjoyed this week that we want to pass along to you the Kino Lefter audience uh Paris would you like to start or would you like me to go first
1: I'd like you to go first
0: wonderful okay Um, so my recomradation for this week, um, is a movie I've been very excited to watch. Um, I've been on a big Shinya Tsukamoto binge, um, because I got this amazing box set, um, with eight feature films and two shorts of Tsukamoto's, um, from Arrow Films called Solid Metal Nightmares, which I highly recommend, um, and my re this week is my second favorite Tsukamoto movie in the box set so far. I love Tetsuo the Iron Man, the better Iron Man. Um, and uh, this one is called A Snake of June from 2002. It's like an erotic thriller um, that uh, Tsukamoto made within the context of like... 2002 was like one of the highlight, high moments of Western erotic thrillers. And he was saying how sex is always portrayed as like the evil, sinful thing in those erotic thrillers and in this it's like it's it's like both a redemptive force um and also just like an intrinsic part of human nature um but the character relationships are much more interesting it's a gorgeously shot movie it's in black and white with like this blue tint over it um and it's all about like this rainy season in japan i mean in june that's like nature was very informative for him and like a lot of Sukamoto movies are about tokyo as a city um and comparing that to like you know human nature um so it's very it's a very pretty film it's 77 minutes um it kicks ass it's also very sexy it's a very sexy film so uh that's my recommendation for this week a snake of june uh paris how about yourself
1: that sounds uh fantastic and i would say uh i have been more on the blockbuster side of things this week um you know, it is the 20th anniversary of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, I think it was December 20th. Um, for me, you know, that, that is right around the time of the first Spider-Man film. I believe that was 2003. Uh, the Lord of the Rings films are 2001, 2, and 3. Um, for me, the Lord of the Rings films were incredibly, like, uh, important to me. Like, as a teenager, they were, like, the films that I absolutely adored, were completely obsessed with. Um, you know, watch the extended editions. I don't even know how many times and like all of the special features that were in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I have been rewatching those films this week Um, because, you know, I, I wanted to go back into that world, I guess, uh, as I was taking a break. Uh, and I also bought like a really nice edition of the Lord of the Rings book that came out recently. Um, That oh, is nice. like really, really beautiful. Um, And so, yeah, you know, it's probably not a recommendation for a film that people haven't seen in a while, um, but I've been enjoying that. And I would also say um, I did watch The Matrix Resurrections uh, last night as well. Um, You know, obviously no spoilers, anything like that. Pretty new film. Uh, You know, I feel like the reviews have been kind of mixed, but I would say that for me, for what I was looking for right now, I think it's a very meta film. and. I I loved it. Like I was totally ah, into it. So, amazing. yeah. I uh I I, th- I hope that people are going to enjoy it.
0: Uh Matrix is going to be on this podcast. I have yet to see it during uh this recording session. I was going to go to the theater on Christmas to watch it, but with how bad COVID is, I can rent it at home. So, <laughs> I think I'm going to watch it at home. Um I I'm so excited uh for the Matrix though. I've I've been very quick Matrix note. Um, I've been trying to watch Sense Eight, the the Wachowski TV series that they made with uh, uh, Jay Michael Struzinski, I think, like a comic book writer. Um, I watched like the first twenty minutes of the show, and it does whip. Um, so oh, yeah. I might, I love I that might, series. I might watch all of Sense Eight before I watch the new Matrix movie. Um, but uh, not to give I, any I lo-
1: spoilers. But I okay. would say yes, do that. Because I think you'll actually get more enjoyment out of The Matrix Res- Matrix Resurrections if you have watched sense first. So I would say, yeah, like, make sure to do that. Um, yeah, I, I would, you know, it just, you know, you were planning to go see it in the cinemas. I had tickets to see it last night in the cinema. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. we did not go uh, because of COVID spreading and, uh, you know, all of those things. They actually shut down the cinemas here today. Um So I don't know when they're going to reopen again. So, yeah, I watched it at home. Um, But Yeah, you know, I think I think just another quick note before we end the conversation. Like for me, one thing that I have noticed over COVID is like. How much I love going to the cinema, like, yeah, just so, so deeply and how much I miss the experience of going regularly because the virus has been spreading around and, you know, also, you know, the number of good films that have been coming out was like reduced during COVID because of productions being paused and things like that. And I would say, you know, one thing that really stands out to me now is that when I'm watching films at home, it's so much more difficult to just focus on the film and, and to enjoy the experience because like, you know, your phone is there, you want to check it and there's not any kind of like moral taboo against doing so. And so like, it, it, it kind of takes you out of the experience a little bit more. Whereas when you go to the cinema, like you know you're sitting there for me like i feel no desire to check my phone when i'm in the cinema because like this is the experience like it allows you to get that break from everything else and just to like spend a little bit of time in another world with some other characters people their experiences their life whatever um and so you know it it has you know there was discussion early on in the pandemic about whether like this was going to be the death knell of cinemas and i certainly hope not because for me at least it has proven to me how much I absolutely love the cinematic experience and especially to go into a cinema and to watch it like on the big screen, you know, with the speakers flare and the music really loud and the sound really loud and all that shit. Um, yeah. So uh, I can't wait until the cinemas are open again. I can't wait. Uh, I'm sure all of us can't wait until this virus is finally like, you know, taken care of or, you know, whatever is, isn't the kind of threat that it is today. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'll be looking forward to going back to the cinema, that's for sure. Uh,
0: it, it, I don't know if it makes me sad or not that maybe one of my favorite moments of this pandemic, of which there are very few, is seeing No Time to Die in theaters. So, <laughs> but uh, but uh, Paris, thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast. It's been lovely chatting with you. Um, you have a lot going on. Uh, obviously, your Jackman article is coming out soon. Uh, tell me about the podcast. Tell me about the book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I would, I would also just say it's fantastic to finally be on the show. Um, You know, really enjoyed it. Love the show. Love for there to be a socialist um, film podcast. Uh, And so like, I'm super happy to join you. Uh, Yeah, you know, hopefully the Jacobin article will be out by the time this episode goes live. So people will be able to read it. If not, you know, it'll be out at some point and you can read it then. Um, But yeah, I I generally write for a bunch of different places. I host a podcast called Tech Won't Save Us that gives critical perspectives on technology, the tech industry, all that fun stuff. Um, You know, if people are interested in science fiction, I uh, had Anna Newitz on the show this week um, and, you know, we discussed how Silicon Valley understands science fiction and what it actually doesn't get about science fiction, how it uses it to kind of sell shitty ideas to us and stuff like that. So it's a pretty good conversation if you're interested in those sorts of things. Um, and yeah, I have a book coming out next July called uh, Road to Nowhere. I always forget the subtitle, so I'm not even going to try it. I'm, but it's I'm a not, great I'm, subtitle. Yeah, <laughs> look it's it up. very good. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. it's basically about what is, is so bad about how uh, Silicon Valley thinks about the future of transportation, why it's ideas for like ride-hailing companies, autonomous vehicles, Hyperloops, all that kind of stuff is total garbage and not the future of transportation. So, you know, if that's of interest, you can uh, certainly look for that next July as well. Uh, so, yeah.
0: Awesome. So uh, if you enjoyed this episode, you can join the Discord, you can join the Facebook group, you can sign up on Patreon for bonus weekly episodes, all of which are found in the episode description. Uh, it's been wonderful chatting with you, Paris, and I think by the time this episode comes out, we will be in the bold, exciting future of 2022. So to the Kino Lefter listener, hopefully this year is better than the last fucking year, probably not. Everything is accelerating uh towards good or bad we don't know but Spider-Man and the movies will also be there um, so thanks for listening bye bye Keynote Lefter is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network you can find great leftist Canadian podcasts like Big Shiny Takes, 49th Parahel, Le Planche de Vache, Habiti Please, Alberta Advantage, Tech Won't Save Us and the Progress Report on the network to find out more and become a supporter of the network head over to HarbingerMediaNetwork.com